Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I couldn't really speak the whole truth to the group of people gathered. Not that I would lie, of course. You know, they wouldn't do that. What I mean is, I don't think the audience was capable of hearing the whole truth. How can we speak of spiritual things to people who do not know the Lord of life? It's like Jesus told Nicodemus, isn't it? You hear the sound of the wind, but you don't know where it's coming from, nor where it's going. So Jesus said, is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's like throwing your pearls before swine, in a manner of speaking. Not to be rude or anything, but it's truth. The occasion that I'm talking about was the one following a week or so after the Boston Marathon bombing. It was a news broadcast wherein so-called experts were discussing the findings and analyzing the details that were being uncovered concerning the two young men being held responsible for the bombing. The thing that aggravated me was that these self-proclaimed experts were making their pronouncements from their secular viewpoints. Some were annoyed that the press immediately started making comments about Islam and radicalization and so on. Others spoke about various psychological pressures and environmental or social influences that might have contributed to the dastardly deed that the accused were made of presenting upon a crowd of innocent civilians. Even a little boy died from the terrible thing they apparently did. A number of people fight for their lives or lost limbs that day. They and their families will never be the same again. There's no logical, reasonable or acceptable explanation for what they are supposed to have done. No amount of discussion, no amount of contrition, no amount of restitution can resolve or rectify what happened that day to many unsuspecting innocents. No amount of prison time will offset the damage, the pain, the anguish of the moment that will last for months and even lifetimes. So these experts can analyze and explain and suggest all they want, but they do not state the single most important cause for such action. Evil. Men's hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible revealed a long time ago. Left to their own devices, mankind can be unbelievably wicked and evil. There's only one solution, really. God. Now you understand why I say there's no way that I could say this in the environment I described at the beginning. I would have been locked up as a religious fanatic. I doubt there would have even been one soul that would have understood, much less agreed, with my analysis and my rationale as to what was the systemic cause of the Boston Marathon incident. Jesus died on the cross to save us from this evil, this evil that had enslaved the human race. Ever since the Garden of Eden, men and women have been slaves to sin. The Apostle Paul once lamented that he knew that he should do good, but try as hard as he could, he always ended up doing evil. Men and women need the Lord. As that familiar song asks, when will we realize it? People need the Lord. 
the participants of the marathon, the officials, the spectators, the police, the media, you and me, everyone. We all need the Lord. Even the two young men who are said to have built those bombs and detonated them among the spectators that day, they need the Lord. The reporters interviewed the boy's uncle and emotionally he shouted to the cameras, they need to ask for forgiveness of the people they maimed. I have a surprise to tell the uncle, it's too late. People have died, people have lost limbs, people and families have been traumatized. Asking forgiveness will not change anything. What is needed is for the two brothers and the uncle to ask Christ for forgiveness of their sins. Then they can try to ask for forgiveness of the others. In a sincere, repentant spirit, they must come humbly to the cross and ask forgiveness for, for their sins, all the past sins, as well as the most horrific current one of bombing those unfortunate people. There will be a continuing battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil until Jesus returns in glory at the end of the age. Until then, we must fight evil and point people to the cross where there is forgiveness because people need the Lord. Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me storms come no more let me stand in thy presence on that bright peaceful shore in that land where the tempest never comes lord may i dwell with thee when the storm passes by till the storm passes
Now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. We are continuing with our exposition of the epistle of Jude, in which the Lord's brother exhorts us to contend or to fight earnestly for the faith, which is the word of God that was once and for all deposited to the people of God. In plain language, he's encouraging us to fight hard to protect the integrity and purity of the word of God. Last time, we emphasized the one overriding principle that is taught in this epistle. It is this, moral corruption that leads to the judgment of God naturally follows corruption of spiritual truth, specifically the word of God. It is absolutely certain that God will severely judge those persons who distort or pervert the word of God, especially false teachers who masquerade themselves as messengers of God, who invoke the name of God in vain by preaching and teaching their own word or twisting God's word, and yet saying that it is the true word of God. My friends, Jude is so concerned that believers be able to detect these godless men today that he devotes a major part of his epistle in describing their moral characteristics as well as their activities. Now, in our last message, we looked at the description of these men and women in verses 8 through 10. Now, in verse 11, where we stopped last time, he says, and I quote, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, let's look at this passage. The way of Cain refers to the rejection of God's way for our own way instead, but yet saying that it's God's way. For instance, by replacing God's way of salvation by grace with our own way of salvation by human works. Cain, because of an evil heart, rejected God's blood sacrifice and brought the work of his own hands from the ground. Abel, on the other hand, followed God's revealed way of approaching him by offering a blood sacrifice. God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's. As a result, Cain became angry toward God, and he murdered Abel, who represented God. The writer of Hebrews reveals that the difference between Cain and Abel was their faith. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Quote, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, Abel was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. End of quote. Cain became an apostate because he turned away from God's revealed truth to do his own thing. Because of this, God rejected his offering. The same is true of false teachers and apostates today. They turn away from what they know to be God's will and truth, and they do their own thing. But God will not accept their works. Instead, he will judge them for their apostasy. And in spite of the things they have done, Jesus Christ himself is going to say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. Jude next talks about Balaam's error. 
Now this refers to selling out of one's spiritual gifts or abilities to the highest bidder for personal profit. Or to put it in New Testament terminology, this is going after filthy lucre by using the ministry for personal profit. Balaam's story is told in Numbers chapters 22 to 25. Balak was a prophet of Israel. But Balak, the king of Moab, who did not want the Israelites to enter Canaan, offered Balaam a large sum of money to curse Israel. However, God told Balaam that he was not to curse his people. But the prophet really wanted to profit from this deal and from his position as a prophet. And so he tried several times to do it against God's will. But each time God stopped him and turned the attempted curse into a blessing instead, even to the point of using Balaam's donkey to try and talk some sense into his master's head. Actually, Balaam acted more like a donkey than his donkey did. Balaam became so greedy for the money that he devised a plan whereby the Moabite women seduced the men of Israel so that they eventually worshipped the Moabites' pagan gods. This, of course, brought God's judgment upon the Israelites. But in the process, Balaam himself was killed by the Israelites. In other words, he was killed by the very ones he was paid to curse. Exactly what Jude says happens to apostates. They are destroyed by the very things they reject or despise. Jude says that the godless men who creep unawares into local churches can be known by their greed for money. Isn't that something? Godless men who creep into local churches can be known by their greed for money. That's why Jude says they rush for profit into Balaam's era. That is, making money from the ministry is their major all-consuming passion. And they will lie and deceive and exploit God's people to get what they want and to do it all in the name of God. That's why Peter exhorts pastor elders in 1 Peter 5 in these words. He says to the true shepherds, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Now notice this, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. End of quote. If men today would just observe that one qualification for being a church leader, many would not become a church leader. And if church leaders would really apply the truth of God to choosing their leaders, many leaders would be rejected from the church because they fail right here, not greedy for money. Think about all of these ideas today of planting a seed. Many people want to plant a seed into a ministry. And these ministries are saying, you will be benefited by it. But in actual fact, the only ones who get any benefit are the preachers themselves. Listen then very carefully to what Jude is saying. Apostate false teachers can be recognized by a willful, arrogant rejection of these instructions with such lines as, God wants his servants to have the best, which may be true, of course, but not necessarily materially wise or at the expense of truth, 
and the exploitation of God's people. As I mentioned, one popular method today is what is called planting a seed, which is being interpreted, send some money to me, with the promise that God will grow financial or material gain or profit for you. The only problem, though, is, as I mentioned before, is that the growth happens more for the con artist preacher than for the one who plants the seed. These antics, these methods are attacks, my friends, against the faith once for all deposited to the saints. Here's how the Apostle Peter speaks to the same issue in Second Peter chapter 2. I quote now the word of God. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. That day has come, my friends. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. You want to hear destructive heresies? Just turn on your TV to the popular Christian station today in the United States. They even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Listen to this now, verse 2, the word of God. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. That is being fulfilled today. Verse verse 3, in the agreed, these teachers will exploit you with the stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and destruction has not been sleeping. In other words, the judgment will come, making up their own stories. And you want to hear some fantastic stories? Listen to some of these preachers. They make it up in their own minds. Do they do not get it from the word of God? But Jude gives another trait of such false teachers who have turned away from the truth. This is what he says in verse 11. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, the story of Korah is told in Numbers 16. Korah, along with three others, led 250 elders of Israel in a revolt against the leadership and authority of Moses, the man God himself had chosen and put in place as the leader of Israel. In other words, they rebelled against God's divinely delegated leadership. And my friends, in the word of God, that is a dangerous thing to do. Korah boasted that he was just as good as Moses, and so did not need Moses as a mediator between himself and God. He rebelled against God's appointed authority and mediator and led and enticed others to do the same. This is exactly what Jude said in verse 4. They changed the grace of God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ as mediator, our only sovereign and Lord. That's his authority. And so Jude uses Cain, Balaam and Korah as historical examples of men who rejected God's truth and chose their own way instead. And as a result, they all experienced the judgment of God. His point is that the same thing will be true of those who turn away from the truth of God today, even though they might do it deceitfully, that is, act as though they are serving God when they're doing it. Friends, when we turn away from the word of God, we turn away from God himself. That's why Jude is so detailed in his description of these men and women. He wants to be certain that God's people today are able to identify these godless men 
and deal with them quickly and decisively before they destroy the lives of God's people and the testimony of his church. But Jude continues his description of these people in verses 12 and 13. He says, These men are hidden reefs in your love feasts. In other words, they are dangerous and they conceal themselves. Now, we often don't see them until it's too late. That's why Jude is clearly spelling out the warning signs. These religious deceivers appear as angels of light, but in reality, they are messengers of Satan, the father of darkness. Now, this hidden reef description is an apt illustration for those of us who live in the Bahamas and those who live in the Caribbean, because we are familiar with the sharp coral reefs that surround our beautiful islands. It takes skill and ability to spot and maneuver safely through these reefs without being shipwrecked. So it is, my friends, with the church. We need a good chart. We need someone who can read that chart. We need to know what to look for and how to avoid these false teachers and apostates that Satan is placing in our churches, even around the Lord's table. Jude says they eat with us without the slightest qualm. That is, they are bold, they are arrogant, and they are unafraid. Many times, that's the reason why they are undetected. They are shepherds who feed only themselves, rather than feeding the people of God. They are selfish and have no real concern for God's people. Friends, shepherds are supposed to feed the sheep, not themselves, especially at the expense of the sheep. And so literally the text reads, they are feeders who feed themselves. That's a trait of a false shepherd. Do you know anyone like that? Jude continues his description in verse 12. They are clouds without rain who are blown along by the wind. Now, they promise much, Jude is saying, but give little or nothing and move from one whim or fad to the other once it profits them. He says they are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. In other words, rather than being twice born, that is, born again, they are twice dead. They don't bear fruit that lasts. Therefore, they are useless or dead with regard to fruit, but they are also uprooted. That is, they have no true spiritual life. They are not really rooted in Christ at all. That's why they cannot bear spiritual fruit. They cannot bear fruit that lasts. It may look as though they have a thriving church or ministry, but it's all the result of human organization and human effort, just like any other successful human organization without God. But friends, Jude is telling us it will not last. It will not stand the test of time. For certain, it will not stand the test of God's judgment. But then Jude goes on in verse 13, he says, They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up the shame. Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah 57, verse 20. I quote him, The wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. End of quote. So, Jude is saying that false teachers and apostates are wicked people whose behavior is their shame because of its wickedness, deceitfulness, dishonesty, and immorality. They are mire and mud that characterize their private 
and public life. Jude says they are also wandering stars from whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. When I read this, I think of what we call now black holes in space. In other words, these are not fixed in their position as true stars are. They will not be around long. They are shooting stars, and they are doomed because they are consigned to the judgment of God. It is the presence and detections of such people in the church that constrained Jude to write this epistle. It was a serious matter then. It is even more so now. Many false prophets have gone into the world and gotten into our local churches. Jude is arming us in order to enable us to detect and protect ourselves from such godless men and women. And I ask you then, I ask you, are we heeding his urgent message and warning? And so I close today's study with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. May these words be a goal, a motivation to move us as leaders of God's people to positive action in this matter. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Quote, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. End of quote. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound.
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again.